Podcast pals from WHYY and Billy Penn. It is hitting season. I'm your host, John Stolnes from the Good Fight and BillyPenn.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. It is good to be back in the chair. I got a week off last week uh, with the family on a vacation, but uh, ready to talk some Phil's baseball. And joining me as they do every time this week is my good buddies, Justin Clue and Liz Rocher. Are my good buddies, Justin Clue and Liz Rocher. Let's use proper grammar. I'm away for a week, and all of a sudden, I don't know how to talk good. Justin, of course, from Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn, and he's also also the host of The Dirty Inning, which you can find on our Hit and Season Patreon, as well as Absolutely Hammered. Follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. Justin, if they didn't hear enough from you last week, um, they got more of you tonight. And thank you, Justin, for the being the, the Iron Man of the podcast last week. I think you did about 16 hours of podcasts last week. <laughs> I just thank want you, everyone... I want everyone to know that John's uh, roughshod grammar is but a snippet of the vacation John who showed up to record today. He's got his Hawaiian shirt, three buttons unbuttoned. Mm-hmm. He's got tan lines all around where the the shell all necklace right clearly was. They're yeah, in all the right places. He's been he's been trying to he's been spilling a, a drink with a little umbrella in it all over the console. It's uh, it's a huge mess, honestly. If you're on honestly, if you're on vacation, just just stay there for the rest of the summer. It's the only logical thing to do. That's good advice. I wish I had heated, but no, I wanted to get back and, and talk some talk. And I could have we brought the microphone that. with me, but yeah, we appreciate so, you know. that. Uh, did we all see Ryan Howard in the celebrity softball game? Did we all see him capitalize on some shoddy defense in right field and, and jog out an inside the park home run? He is in really <laughs> good shape, by the way. Oh, we keep is. talking about that. We keep talking we about do? how Ryan Howard is aging backwards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he looks the Benjamin so good. Button of baseball. He looks like he could play. He looks like he he looks like he certainly looks like he's more spry than he was in like 2013. Yeah, uh, I mean, he was jogging really? around the bases. That was well, I remember a time where that would have been a luxury. <laughs> <laughs> well, how fa- you say jogging? I didn't see this. How fast was he really going? It was a celebrity softball game, so, so I'm not say, top speed. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he was just making he, sure I didn't misunderstand the tenor then, of this conversation. He then also just crushed one, so he could just jog around the bases yeah, later in the yeah. game as well. Yeah, he revved it up into second gear there, I think, for a little bit, which was which was uh, which was good to see. We didn't see much of second gear towards the end of his uh, time here in Philadelphia, but it was really really good to see him on the field. Liz Rocher, of course, from Yahoo Sports. You can follow her on Twitter at Liz Rocher. Liz, I know uh, you were at a special event over the weekend in Chicago. I was. I was at the uh, the fifty first Saber Conference uh, back. They. Uh, they had a couple years break. They were in Baltimore last year. This year they were in Chicago. I get to hang out with my favorite, some of my favorite people on the planet. I get to drink heavily, eat really unhealthily, and see a lot of baseball. I watched I watched three White Sox games person in oh live in person goodness. this weekend. I watched. We were at the. Did ballpark. you lose a bet? Were you no. in jail? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> tickets were so cheap. And uh, Thursday was a single entry doubleheader. So we bought oh, two that's tickets good times. and got there at like four o'clock and stayed until whenever the game was over, until whenever game two was over. We were there for so long. I love the White Sox ballpark. I haven't been. I haven't been. It I does mean, it's it. not fancy. It's not ostentatious. It's 
It's a ballpark and it reflects the fan base. It's a working class ballpark. Everything is black and gray. I have never, I, I grew up a Phillies fan. I've gone to a lot of Phillies games. I don't think I've ever seen a fan base so dedicated to wearing any and every kind of, of team gear. Homemade. <laughs> like, I saw over that, you know, seven hours I was at the ballpark, like five different, I still call it Comiskey shirts, and they mm. were all different. Different, like they clearly got them all in different places. Like there are that many, like it was, it was a really amazing, it was a really amazing time. I encourage anybody, especially Phillies fans, if you are in Chicago, skip Wrigley, go to old, go to new Comiskey. We're not going to call it. It's a horrible name. We're going to call it yeah. new Comiskey. Go there. I think You're it's... not going to find a more energetic, energized and diverse fan base. Which is uh, saying something when when they're watching a White Sox team that is absolutely putrid uh, this year. So well, yeah. that's it. I'll say th the second game of the doubleheader was Italian Heritage Night. Okay, uh, <laughs> sounds delicious. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, I can't. I and I of course I'm half Italian. It, they were giving it if you had like the special ticket, you got a white sock, like a a really pretty light blue um, socks Italia hat. Like, if people had stuff from previous Italian Heritage Nights they were wearing, it was <laughs> it was more crowded than I thought it was. And then Friday night, it was in it was really crowded. All right, well, Mitch, put that on the list. Put uh, New Comiskey, or I think it might be named after a cell phone company now. I don't know what the stadium's it's called. It's Guaranteed but... Rate Field, which has sure a big is. old um, down, th red downward arrow. I believe it's called the Board Apatorium now yes <laughs> yeah. I, I also saw some incredible i also saw some incredible panels um uh they gave ozzy Gian the mic for like an hour yeah, oh, my goodness. Just, oh my goodness it was, I, i'm gonna find the link when they put it up on saber's website everyone must watch this he was under the impression now he's spoken to saber before he spoke in uh to saber in uh, Miami, and I think at least one other place. He will go like as long as we're all in the same place. He will he will come and speak to your he will come and speak to your group. Um, he was under the impression that Saber, which is a baseball research society that um, mm -hmm. that does a lot of you know like actual studious research, Black Sox, yeah, you know, um, you know, old old baseball in the eighteen hundreds. It's not like stats based but he just spoke about why sabermetrics is bad <laughs> he definitely thought he didn't they know the, the room thing <laughs> yeah and it, it was just amazing it was amazing and hilarious and um i also saw maybelle blair who is 96 year old not years old she played for the peoria red wings um of the all-american girls professional baseball league I've seen her speak a few times. She is still as animated as she was when I saw her like seven, eight years ago. Good for she, her. Like, it was said. So Mabel, why don't you tell us how, you know, you got into baseball? Now, she's this little woman with this big helmet of gray hair. And she's got these big reflective glasses on. She must have some serious eye problems, but she has these big like they look like ski goggles. And so she says, she grabs the mic and pulls it over to her mouth and says, well, let me tell you. 
That's fantastic. I mean, and that was just I can a wonderful it. introduction to, yeah. to this woman. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I That's have a, a fun... little bit of it on my on my Twitter feed. You can go back and look. She was just a gem. Oh. When I talked to the widow of a Negro Leagues player once, she had to be a little over 90, and she told the story of how they met, and she kept going into the bar where he was bartending. And she, she he came over to her, and she was like, he was like, hey, how are you doing? He was like really soft spoken, and she was like, why are you always looking at me? Why don't we just go and get it on? <laughs> yes. uh, uh, See, young love. Old people want us to think that they were lame, but they're not. You just have to prod them a little bit, and they'll tell us. Yeah. They'll tell us their stories of how they were they once were, awesome. They were once awesome, and they still are awesome in their own old way. Oh, yes. And it's 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 a good it's it's a good thing. But uh, yeah, Liz's timeline has some good pictures of of this uh, of this fine lady uh, at Liz Rochers. Make sure that you that you check it out and uh, all the other saber stuff that went down over the course of the weekend. Uh, the Phillies, of course, right now um, they're scattered to the winds for the All-Star break. Nick Castellanos, Craig Kimbrell, and uh, the Phillies coaching staff right now in Seattle uh, getting ready for the All-Star game, which uh, is going to take place as we are recording this uh, tomorrow night on, on Tuesday night. We're recording as the Home Run Derby is going on right now, and no Phillies participating, so um, kind of keeping just like a quarter of an eye on that as we're recording here. But... Um, they're not hitting a ton of home runs, so it kind of feels like the Phillies are participating. Yeah, so it can look like now there's no runners in scoring position here, but I mean it, they're doing a pretty good facsimile of the Phillies' offense so far. Uh, I know Randy Rosarena had a good place first is round, like a cavern. but yeah, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Um, but uh, very before we get into the the, the first half uh, recap of the Philly season here, I do want to just take a second to talk about Nick Castellanos because I think it's been really cool to get to know him a little bit better over these last few weeks, and especially as the All-Star game has come around. There's been a lot of feature writing about him. Uh, there was a, a great line, uh, I think, in an Alex Coffey story talking about his son Liam. His oldest son Liam uh, is with him in Seattle for the All-Star game. Uh, they basically decided that he was going to leave his travel team playing a tournament in Florida to be with his dad for the game. And I thought, Castellanos, it was funny, he said something like, um, you know, when it actually came time for him to leave, the team was doing really well, and he called me, and he was pretty emotional. He told me he wanted to stay with his team in Florida, and I just had Aww. to tell him, no, man, we no man, we made a plan. You've got to stick with it. I mean, it's just a little bit of tough love uh, for, for Liam there because he wanted to stay with his team, and he wanted to play, but, you know, you also want your kid to, for their word to be their bond, and as a dad, I really appreciated that that uh, that little quote there, and I know he had some, some things to say about Scooby-Doo, uh, which was pretty endearing. Um, uh, basically calling Scooby as a superhero, which, I mean, just all these little things that we're learning about Nick Castellanos. He was so grumpy and fussy last year, and he just, he seems like an absolute delight this season, and it makes sense because he's been their best player this year. So the All-Star game this year, it, there's only two Phillies there, but I feel like it's been a lot of fun getting to know Nick Castellanos a little bit better. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to say I was surprised, but when he, uh, we talked a little bit about the story um, about, when Reese Hoskins went down and Nick Castellanos was like, I'm going to step up into this leadership role and I'm going to put Reese Hoskins name under the bill of my cap. And yeah, I'm going to do all these things. And you're like, okay, wow. And you know, before the season started, there were, we probably went through lists of things like what needs to go right for this team, for them to have similar success or improve on their success. And one of those things was Nick Castellanos has to turn it around. Have those other things happened folks. 
Mostly no, but Nick Castellanos <laughs> did turn it around. And yes, he is, did. He is he is proving to be every bit the free agent the Phillies signed him to be. So that is yeah, that has been a huge, huge I think one A highlight for this team in twenty twenty three. Yeah, let's go over the the first half recap because it was such an interesting first half coming into the season. I think we were. Looking at this team, and we said, for this team to really do well, a few things need to happen. Nick Castellanos needs to have a bounce-back season, and they need to get more out of the daycare. And we had just assumed that the Stars would play as they did in 2022. Well, we got we we got the bump up in the level of play from the Phillies' daycare and from Nick Castellanos, but everybody else on the team took a half a step backwards. And yet, here we are at the All-Star break, and the Phillies have a 48-41 and 41 record. They are on pace for 87 wins, the same as last year. <laughs> they entered the break a half a game same out of the third. Same as last year. Sorry. Same as last year. <laughs> on pace for 87 wins. That's right. Um, they entered the break a half a game out of the third wild card. They trailed the Giants for that third wild card. The Diamondbacks are two and a half up. The Marlins are three up on them. They could have left Miami. I believe they could have left tied, right? I mean, if they'd, if they'd swept the series, but uh, lost the last two games after Friday's uh, thrilling Christian Pache homer game. So it was a disappointing finish to the first half, and I was really looking forward to coming on here and and being all jacked up and, and hopped up with, with positive vibes and, and great feelings and all that. And, you know, the last two games against the Marlins kind of spoiled that a little bit but still after starting 25 and 32 they've gone 23 and 9 since June 2nd that's a 719 winning percentage in their last 34 games they are 19 and 10 in interleague play only the Marlins and Braves have won more games against the American League uh, what they need to do better is is against teams in their division 9 and 15 against teams in their own division uh, they're 2 and 4 against the Mets Braves and Marlins and 3 and 3 against the Nationals and their run to differential of plus nine gives them an expected win-loss record of just 45 and 44. So you can kind of look at this team and given the struggles of Turner and Schwarber and Real Muto and Harper and Nola and Wheeler, I don't know, Liz, it seems kind of incredible to me that they are where they are. Is it, is it, um, what are your initial thoughts on how the Phil's first half went? I definitely get the urge to be unhappy about how things ended because their their record against the NL East is is truly bad uh it, it smacks of several years ago when they just could not win a game against the Marlins to save their life like they should be doing I would like for them to be doing better against the NL East and they should be me too but I don't want that to sort of dim some of the good things that we've seen you know there are good things and I want to try to focus on them because not focusing on them, I don't want to focus on the bad things until they're actually happening. Are they actually happening now? Do we know? I don't think so. Right? Well, which bad things are we are we talking about? Like, are we like Aaron Nola had a pretty rotten first half of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, Kyle Schwarber had a rotten first half. T Trey Turner Revolting. had a very disappointing first half. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. uh, Harper's got this uh, long homerless streak. I mean, some of these bad things are happening, and and yet here they here they are, in a pretty good position to to make the playoffs here in in 2023. But at the same time, man, I just after that raise sweep and that Friday night game against the against the Marlins, it really felt like they were going to come into the All Star break kind of like a freight train, and they just went off the tracks 
in those last two games. And it just took a little, and, and especially the, the NOLA start that we saw on Sunday, just took the sales out for, for a lot of folks, including myself to some degree. I was kind of, I was really mad about at the game on Sunday because I really wanted them to just roll into the all-star break, like all, all pistons firing. Well, I actually think that this is not a terrible thing. They're going to feel like crap about it. And I think they'll come out kicking after they have a couple of days off. I mean, they're, I have a feeling at least one or two of them can't stop thinking about how they lost those two games. Right? Like, I think it at least could serve as motivation for them to do a little bit more, to think a little harder about what they need to do better, to drill down to the the little things. Unless you're Aaron Nola, and then it's probably very big things that you still can't figure out for some reason. You know, I think people just, they still, I'll say this again, the people just need to figure out how to watch this team. I think uh, vibe-wise, really, that's the only thing that got thrown off. I mean, John, you're talking about them going into the break with a ton of momentum, you know, riding this freight train. We're talking about two games. Like, it's not like they would have won. Oh, if they had, like, a hot two weeks to go into the – well, they did. They had a hot two weeks. What did you say in their last 34 games? They've won, like, 25 times or something? Like, they have been very – they've done what they've had to do since since June 3rd. 23-9 and since June 2nd, yeah. July started with this 19 to 4 crushing of the Nationals and a diesel aka Shaquille O'Neal concert and it ended with a stupid <laughs> little loss to the Marlins. I mean the Phillies this season are this big expensive team of high-end free agents and developing young players orbiting a superstar and they've been dinged by injuries and then they've been mired in slumps and their biggest problem looked like it was going to be starting pitching until it was the lack of power hitting. But despite all the things we've complained about on this show for the last 12 weeks, they're in the playoff hunt. They finished the first half, like you just said, 23-9, and nine, their last 32 games. I get wanting to beat the Marlins, like wanting to see them beat the Marlins would have been so clean. I wish the, the first half had ended after they swept the Rays. But honestly, are you really that dour about a team that's been able to do what the Phillies have done since June 3rd? That's been operating at the same level as it did last year when it went to the World Series and shaking your head because they didn't win the last game you saw them play? Because this was never going to be 2011, everybody. This was never going to be sheer dominance from station to station. Even if you felt the Phillies were this flawless team going into the year, then you knew at some point they would get hurt. They would start losing. They'd bow their heads and look like they don't want to be there. Because they do that sometimes, too. Because they are not immune to the BS that haunts teams that are good on paper. But the Phillies have shown that not a, they're not consistently good. They're just consistently good enough. And it does not make them easy to watch, but I'm far from hopeless about the second half, and I'm actually really looking forward to what guys like Harper, Schwarber, and Real Muto can do because they're looking for something they haven't found yet, and there's half a baseball season in which they can still find it. I'm really interested to see what Stott and Bohm can do as the playoff window narrows too. And I, I think those two, especially Stott, have really leveled up over the last few weeks. Now, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know these guys, we know this team, we know how it operates erratically, illogically, Always a little bit soaking wet. You can wait for your team to be the most dominant baseball force ever assembled, but this team is just not going to be that. So the most you can hope for is that they stay in it long enough to get in it. And we've seen them do that before. Yeah, and I think we want the Phillies to be the Braves, essentially. We want the Phillies to win 68 to 70% of their games. And I think even Philly fans would be happy. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's maybe speaking a little out of turn because it's impossible for us to really be happy. But th- if the Phillies were the Braves, <laughs> if they were up, you know what I mean? Like if, they, if they're up by 12 games or 10 games or, or whatever it is, and they were winning, they had a 700 winning percentage. They went into the all-star break in, in the same way that the Braves are. Uh, Phillies fans, I think, would be would be thrilled. We would not you know be what happy, Braves fans but- do every time the bullpen gives up a run? Complain. 
They yeah. complain. Yeah. They, they, they rattle their sabers. They chew their fingernails and they just, they complain. And it's not like there's some kind of 10 to 12 games over uh, up in first place Valhalla where you can sit there and be immune to all of your insecurities. If you're bringing that stuff to watching baseball, you're going to feel it the entire time. Like it's, like we did it's the just the same thing. I'm sorry, yeah. Justin. Yeah. No, you're right. Same uh, thing in 2011. Like we grumbled when they screwed up, you know, and I I was swayed by John. I do feel good about this team. Frustrating to see them lose like that, but they have done well. And while some of it has been luck uh, or dumb luck, which I believe are two different things, um, they have a chance to actually improve and go into the second half having actually thought about what they're doing and go forward and actually doing it. Right, and I think that's there's a glass half full and a glass half empty look at this team, right? You can look at what they've done and say with with Kyle Schwarber and Trey Turner and Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto and Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler all struggling that if they're that that this team's a fraud essentially, you know, that they that they haven't been good enough really to have the record that they have and it, it's going to fall apart. Or that's you've seen that reaction on Twitter. But the other is that the Phillies have left a lot of meat on the bone and that these really, really good players, generally speaking, are more likely to reach up to the levels that we saw them play at last year. Even if their end-of-season statistics don't look like the 2022 statistics over the last two and a half, half months of the season, is it is it really likely that Kyle Schwarber won't bring up his 184 batting average? Is it really likely that Trey Turner is going to continue to slug under 400 and have an on-base percentage under 300 in the second half of the season? Is it possible that Bryce Harper is never going to homer again? Uh, is it possible that JT Realmuto is going to hit 160 with runners in scoring position all season? You know, like, is Aaron Nolan not, never going to figure it out? Is Zach Wheeler going to continue to not get the results that that he would want on a on a every five day basis? You know, so you can you can look at that and say there's there are these established star players that are playing below their career norms that if they just reach what they normally do. This team could go on a real run, but you look at you look at how much they've struggled. And we're going to grade some of these players here in just a second. There's not I don't have a lot of really positive grades for a lot of the players, and yet they 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 have gone on this run over the last month and a half. And it's I think fans are just kind of confused as to as to what they've seen. It it feels it, it kind of it feels a little like smoke and mirrors, but it's not because this team was good last year and they did win this way last year. It's just can it's just I think a little confusing. And I, I'm caught up in, in some of that confusion because it is frustrating when you when you when you know that they can do more than they're doing, but they they just haven't clicked. And if you ask the team themselves, they'll tell you they haven't really clicked. And that's what's I think frustrating people is like knowing they they haven't clicked. They they haven't accessed everything they can do. They they haven't reached their potential. Like when are they gonna do that? When are they gonna kick it into gear and, and reach that potential? Let's yeah. grade some players. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I I'm just saying, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ten, this is what watching baseball is. We thought that getting all these great players meant we never had to worry about anything ever again. Fortunately, yeah. baseball's not that way. And even if we had right. like a 12 to 14 to 20 game lead, we'd still be miserable. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, no, I'm, I'm still, still sitting here like... 
like what is this team good at? Like we're talking about them being there. You know, yeah, they want enough to be there, and I still like I will fly that flag till the end of time until they're eliminated. Like they're just you know, hey, they're winning enough to be in the conversation. This team isn't perfect. Let's just move along uh, and enjoy the wins when they happen. But like what you. <laughs> When we get to these letter grades, I know you're right. Where it's just like, yeah, yeah, well, no, he wasn't great. Yeah, he wasn't great either. Boy, he was, he was not great. What are we? How did how did we get here? You know? How did like, we get here? This is not a this is not a like this is not an uncompetitive wild card. There's like five teams competing for these three spots. Like the Phillies have got to like you know they they had to work to get to this point. They could easily have been the Mets. They could have easily been the Pirates, and they're not. They never. They didn't. I don't. I don't know, man. I think we, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Look at, at least consider what other teams are going through. The Astros are not in first, which is unusual for them. The Dodgers, I believe, aren't in first. Unusual for them. Like, they just jumped back into first, oh, but it's like they've been, they've been seesawing with the Diamondbacks. I mean, they're not yeah. dominating that division, which is your point. Like, Cardinals. The Mets have spent so much, so much money, and yet they're nowhere. The Cardinals. I saw the White Sox and Cardinals play a game, and it was God awful. They are two terrible teams. <laughs> terrible. Like, and the Cardinals actually tried to be good. Unlike whatever's happening over on the White Sox. Like, every team, teams that you wouldn't expect, are having these problems. And in my mind, I think it's like a culmination of maybe MLB is changing the ball yet again. No one knows. And all of the new rules. There's just no... People are struggling to find consistency among all of these new things. And considering how long that they got into their, you know, routines, how well established they are, it's going to take a long time, I think. Not a long time. It's going to take a while for everyone to feel truly comfortable like they did before. You know, and players aren't going to admit that, but I think it's true. Do we feel like this is a year of change league-wide? Like, you know, how the NFL is going through, like, uh, boy, the quarterback the you know, faces of the league have really shifted, I, I think, over the past couple of years. And in baseball, I mean, like the the landscape seems like this is a pretty seismic year uh, where teams you normally would see competing or maybe fall, fl- uh, floundering a little bit or just falling yeah. behind or their plans aren't working when they used to. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it probably is. I mean, you, know, you look at the Orioles and the AL East being a really competitive team for the first time in a while and the, the Rays dominating and the Yankees falling away. I mean, yeah, this stuff is happening everywhere. And honestly, I feel like it's good that the Phillies don't really get talked about a whole lot on the national level oh, because yeah. they're just they're just keeping this kind of like quiet, steady uh, positive progress since June 3rd and everyone's been way more fixated on the teams that are failing. So yeah. chances are, if you are getting your team mentioned on like national coverage, <laughs> it's for a bad reason. So I'm yeah. glad we don't hear yeah. much about the Phillies. Yeah, Fabulous. they they are. They're, they're kind of lying in the weeds and they're a danger. This is a dangerous team because they do have star power that has underperformed, but could very well start performing. And if they can do that, this team does seem to have a fair amount of depth to it. And there's a trade deadline in which they'll probably add more to it, which we'll be talking about more over the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, let's grade some of the key players here. And I, I gave grades to all these different players, and, and Justin and Liz are going to react to the grades and, and tell me whether they agree or not. Uh, we'll start with Kyle Schwarber. I have uh, Kyle Schwarber as a D so far on the season. His 22 home runs lead the team, but the 184 batting average is really hard to comprehend. Uh, but at least 
least it's consistent with his 183 average with runners in scoring position. Um, he's he's just oh, so many of his home runs are leadoff home runs and solo home runs. If he, he has a few grand slams this year too, so it's, he he does have a couple of those. But the, talk about leaving meat on the bone. Schwarber's left a lot of meat on the bone this year, and we knew that he wasn't going to be a high batting average guy. The on base percentage is okay; it's in like the 320s. But I just feel like there's got to be a change at the leadoff spot. With I don't like him up there, and I don't. Think I think relative to expectations, Schwarbert has not met them, which is why I've got him at a D. Liz, what do you think? I agree, though. Where are you putting him in the lineup? Yeah, I don't know. Like There's that's no, the thing. Yeah, like probably is, fifth. Is, is there anywhere you could put him where what he does well would be valuable and he wouldn't hurt anything that wouldn't embarrass him and the Phillies because they're paying him so much money? <laughs> like it's a really tough thing. He he just like straight up needs to get better. Like, the homers are nice, but I would leave him for a few more actual hits, a, mm-hmm. fewer, a few less strikeouts, a few. Like, just, yeah, woof. I think the key here is you got to get Schwarber out of left field. And I think yeah, they're, they're that's going to help his offense. They're moving towards that, and I think it's going to just help him get his head right because, boy, you are just – I feel like every other night there's something happening out there and left that he is shaking his head about or saying can't happen or is unacceptable and won't happen again. And, you know, we, we all know what kind of fielder he is. And I think getting him out of there and making him the DH like he is just clearly born to be is going to do wonders for him in the second half. Yeah, he's apparently been dealing with knee issues. It's been kind of a, 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 whisper, a widely whispered thing. All year, you can see it in his lack of mobility out in left field. I agree. I do think if they can find a way to get him... As the everyday DH get Harper to first base as quickly as possible, that probably will help his offense. If he's having knee issues, it's not an option. You gotta get him out you of there. You don't have a really? better left fielder anywhere than the guy who already isn't a good defender and now he's running on a pair of bad knees. You can't find just sitting around anywhere there's a better left fielder than that. Come on. It's not an option anymore. He's gotta well, he's gotta come yeah. out. Well, the problem isn't that they don't have a better left fielder because they'll put Brandon Marsh in left and play Pache in center until they make a trade at the deadline or something like that. It's You have to keep his bat in the lineup, so you either have him in left field or he's on the bench. You can't do anything else with him. So that's the, that's the conundrum that they're in. Until Bryce Harper is ready to take on first base, they're kind of stuck with Schwarber as the left fielder or he's not playing that day. You know, I so I don't I don't know. Um, hopefully, hopefully Harper's ready. It sounds like he'll be ready, provided that his elbow that got hit in the game against the Marlins on Saturday is feeling good enough for him to return to action. I, I know they're saying early August, but I, I think they'll probably try and get Harper at first base in the field sooner rather than later. Just they got to get Schwarber out of left field. I was just like early August. That's forever ago. That's I mean forever <laughs> in the future. Nope, it is the middle of July. <laughs> yep, it's coming pretty fast. Where um, did the summer go? It did. It's 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 coming. And uh, Trey Turner, I have also as a D, and I think this is relative to expectations. He's clearly had a better season than Schwarber, I think. Uh, but he's hitting 247 with a 299 on base percentage and a 389 slugging percentage. Um, he has a one and a half wins above replacement. It's just not good enough, and he just hasn't been an impact player. He's had a couple of games here and there where he's made an impact, had a couple of big home runs. But all in all, I got to tell you. Gene Segura was a more productive player for the Phillies last year than Trey Turner has been for the Phillies this year. And I'm not saying I would have rather kept Gene Segura. You want Gene back? You want Gene back? You see what he's doing this year? I'm not saying that at all. (laughs) I'm not saying that at all. But we were expecting a big leap in performance and production with Trey Turner from going going from Gene Segura to, to Trey Turner, and we haven't gotten it. 
That's all I'm saying. Woefully short is the only way to describe the, how how far our expectations are are from where we wanted Turner to be at this point. I mean, after the World Baseball Classic, after he's Trey Turner, you know, you, you were really expecting better than this. That being said, I'll, I'll bump him up to a C minus because you know Schwarber's hitting you know, the most home runs on the team, but Turner can hit home runs too. And he can do what he did a couple weeks ago where he worked a walk, stole second, stole third and scored when they overthrew. That's a guy who created his own scoring opportunity and scored. And it was just like, boy, I wish he was operating at full capacity. So stuff like that could happen all the time. Uh, But just seeing him do that, seeing him like, I feel like he had like a three week stretch where he did look better and got a little more consistent before he fell off again. Uh, And so because of that, I'm giving him a, I'm giving him a C minus instead of a D. Fair enough. Liz, what do you think? (laughs) Sorry. That's what I got to say. I, I, I expected so much more of Turner. We all did. And I'm frustrated that we haven't been seeing it. I'm fine with a yeah. D. We could even go. No, I wouldn't give him an F. That's cruel and terrible. Uh, but I think a D is perfect. It's All I right. don't. Ha- I'm not. I don't get that hopeful feeling when he's batting, <laughs> like I do when no. Castellanos is up. Like I, I don't yeah. get that feeling. I would like. I would like to feel that. Please help us, Trey Turner. Yeah, they desperately need him to be more of an impact player. Uh, that's what they that's what they got him to do, and it uh, just hasn't happened. Bryce Harper, this is a tough one to grade, and I think maybe my grade may have been a little tough. Uh, I gave him a C plus. Since homering on May 25th, Harper has gone 36 games without a home run. That's the longest stretch of his career, obviously. We've been talking a lot about it. Um, you have to also consider none of us was expecting him back until about now. So everything he's given us between when he came back and now is all extra. It's all gravy. This was nothing we were expecting. We weren't expecting him back until around the all-star break. And he's had a 359 on base percentage since he came back. So he has been a useful player, but he has a 677 OPS and they've got him in the cleanup spot. So having a 677 OPS from your cleanup hitter is generally not conducive to scoring a lot of runs. And I, I think we all believe that better days are ahead for Bryce Harper. But Liz, they're relying on him now that he's back in the lineup to be one of their big guys in the middle. And he's he's done okay. He's been all right. But he's kind of been more of like what you would want out of your two-hole hitter or your, your six or your seven-hole hitter. And maybe he just needs to be moved up in the lineup or moved around or something like that. But, you know, it's it's not the typical Harper production we were seeing. But we probably have to grade on a curve because he did come back super early from the injury. Is a C-plus too harsh? you don't have to. You don't have to grade on a curve for that because coming back early from injury was Harper's choice entirely. I would like everyone to realize that. The doctors were impressed with him, but in... If it weren't for him saying, I would like to be back early, we're going to do this, and I'm going to be back early, he would have had more time. I don't think the doctors would have tried to force him, nor the team. It's something that's frustrated me, because I think his lack of power is directly related to the fact that just because it doesn't hurt anymore doesn't mean you're ready to go. (laughs) I mean, not that I have no idea what the qualifications are for him having been cleared to play, but it seems... It seems evident that his the issues he's been having are directly related to a lack of power. And to me, it's his lack of strength in the elbow that he had surgically repaired. 
Yeah, and so no I mean, have... I'm fine with C plus, C minus. You know, I him where he's hitting is not his. He has nothing to do with that. It would be great if Rob Thomas could actually move players to where they are based on their actual stats and things like that instead of what their names are and their faces and stuff. Uh, that's not Harper's fault, but I I really uh, I have I have some sharp feelings about him coming back early. Yeah, it's tough to imagine a guy coming back early, earlier than anyone ever mm-hmm. from yeah. Tommy John surgery was going to be the exact person he was when he left for it. So on some level, it'd probably be an optimist take to say on some level he felt what he was capable of doing was still going to be a contribution worth coming back so soon. Or he was just blinded by tooth grinding competitiveness and could not stand to not be playing baseball anymore. And one of those, one of those things (laughs) is more productive than the other, I would say. (laughs) So yeah, this it's just, I I would almost like, you could almost get away. It would be chickening out to say he gets it incomplete because he missed so much time. And the rest of this has just been because of the time that he missed, you know, but due to the injury, like I I feel like he's just got a, he's, he, he needs time to get back to the player he was. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really feel like he was starting to hit the ball harder and further closer to the fence uh, as, as the weeks were going by in the first half. But yeah, boy, he's uh, clearly the, uh, like I said, the superstar around the, uh, the rest of this just orbits him. So him, him getting on track or something closer to the track is going to need to happen for the Phillies in the second half. Cause yeah, he's, he's had a very C plus, uh, beginning mm-hmm. to the season he's hitting the ball hard he's just not elevating it and uh and i think that i would agree with you i think that's almost certainly because of his elbow and coming back early and, and all that so um i think this i think these four days are going to do him and turner and and uh real muto and Schorber a lot of good to try and to get rest up and maybe hit the reset button uh the only a grade that i have for any position player goes to nick castellanos the only uh, position player all-star hitting 301 344 496 he's just been consistent the whole season long anybody disagree with an a for nick castellanos nope the a the a stands for all-star that's see, they just showed this him is, on screen this is why you're here on the <laughs> the home run derby uh giving giving last minute advice to mookie betts who is uh going to be hitting after uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. finishes clobbering the ball. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought he was just going like, yeah, no, man, he's like a dog that talks. It's what makes him powerful. <laughs> I would love Makes him that. a superhero. I've been watching yeah, the Home Run Derby out of the corner of my eye, and there have been some monster home runs. This is my favorite uh, event of the year. It's the best event of the year. Major League Baseball should make it available on every single streaming platform that would, would possibly take it. It's you the know? most fun. Home yeah. run, like, it's the most fun. You're just watching yeah. people hit enormous, enormous home runs. Yeah, and everybody's and the players are having so much fun doing it they're too. It just makes it. It's so Everyone's great. Everyone's like together, and they're yeah. all like broing around. It's really like nice and encouraging to see. The yeah. only time so I've, I've seen someone have a bad time with the home run derby was when um, Albert Pujols had to stand back up after thinking he was out last year <laughs> yes. at 40 years old. <laughs> And he had to stand back up from a seated position to go try and homer again. Also, I guess uh, Pete Alonso, who looked like he was going to burst into tears at some point. But yeah, right. Other right, than right. that, Anytime. yeah, yeah. Any other than that, absolutely. Um, all right, let's move through some of these other guys here. JT Real Muto, I have as a C minus. Um, I was surprised that he has a 460 slugging percentage. I didn't think it was that high, but his uh, weighted runs created of 101 will tell you that.
that he's barely been above league average offensively for a catcher. 184 batting average runners in scoring position. It just hasn't felt like a great Real Muto year. I mean, again, maybe I'm being hard, but it's uh, Justin C minus. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Uh, again, waiting for the uh, success story. How can there be one A in in this group? But yeah, no. It's this is uh, this is part of the triumvirate of lowered expectations as far as mm-hmm. Harper, Schwarber, and Real Muto. I mean, that's supposed to be the heart of your offense right there. Yep. And they're all yep. just like, ah, the bats. I don't know. It's <laughs> Allergic. <laughs> so, yeah, that's again, they're winning games, but it's not because of these guys. Very good point. Liz, what do you think? C-minus Real Muto? I think that's perfectly fine. I would even okay something lower. I, I have not been terribly impressed with him yeah. at all this season. Nope, nope, nope. One of my least favorite things is after uh, JT Realmuto strikes out with the runners on second and third and nobody out, that simple little head shake as he walks back to the dugout like, I can't believe that happened. I can believe it because it's been happening all year long. Oh, boy. Um, You're you're down bad with Realmuto. I am. You're already frustrated by his strikeout walk away. I was that way with Castellanos last year. I know where Mm -hmm. you are. Oh, boy. I am. I am also not having a great time with him. <laughs> I'm. I've. I've. He's been the one that I've yelled at the most from my couch. Yeah, it's just I don't know what it is, but yeah, something's rubbing me the wrong way well, there. Let's talk he's about. He's also the... kind of obnoxious. I'm just gonna that, say uh, it. That that's... head nod is super obnoxious. Yeah, so I think that's fair. I think, but we also felt the same thing about Castellanos last year when he would do these little mannerisms and he was struggling. It's like, what an obnoxious guy! And now I'm like, <laughs> so <laughs> he's the what, best. A, what a fun guy. Um, all right, the daycare. Alec Bohm, I have a B. I was really down on him um, right after he came back from the injured list. It just didn't seem like he was all that productive. I just kept one ground ball after another. And then I look up, and the guy's hitting 280 with a 328 on base and a 426 slugging percentage. You'd like to see that number, that last number higher. But since he came back from the injured list on June 11th, so this is about a month's worth of games, he has an 817 OPS, 312, 343, 817. And he's one of the few guys that hits with runners in scoring position. He leads the team with 57 RBIs on pace for more than 100. So I would have probably, two weeks ago, I would have given him a C. I have him bumped up to a B. Liz? Uh, I, I would love to know what those stats look like without that, like, monster game. Like, that one enormous, didn't he have a two-home run game? I think some of the stats might be inflated by that. But uh, overall, I don't disagree. I've actually been really pleased with what I've seen from him this year. You know, he doesn't he doesn't seem to be, he's not flailing as much. And I think that's, like, obvious, but he doesn't, he has exactly what you need for sports, which is the memory of a goldfish. You need to forget everything that you just did and start new. And I think that's what he's been. I haven't seen him getting as frustrated with himself for things that he didn't do right previously. And I think that's like an important part of growth as a baseball player. Alec Bohm made a barehanded play at third base that got him compared to Mike Schmidt by oh, yeah. everyone. I mean, to think that this is the guy who we thought had more yips uh, to go through a year ago, and now he's making plays like that. Progress. It's, he's, he's, he is an example of visible progress among uh, for a homegrown Phillies player. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm good with the B. Like, uh, I was, uh, I, I was kind of waiting for him to stop uh, – 
scuffling when he got out, got back from his injury too, John. But yeah, I'm really encouraged by what Bohm was able to do the last couple of weeks and seeing him make, I've seen him make some really, really good defensive plays at third base. I'm not saying that's where his future lies, but he's also played first anytime they've asked him to this year as well. So he's filled multiple roles as they try to fill this void that Reese Hoskins absence has created on the team. So he's, he's, uh, he's had a couple more, he's, he's had a little more work to do this year. Yeah. And the way that daycare kind of carried the offense at the beginning of the year too, uh, you know, he was obviously a part of that as well. So he's come through more so than he's probably been their most clutch hitter this year, which for sure you know, on a team that is not very clutch, you know, it may not be saying a lot, but he still, he has found a way to come through. He's hitting a lot of line drives. He's being the kind of player that he was supposed to be, which is not necessarily the guy who's going to drive an offense, a guy who's going to be a part of one. I think if he can be an 800 OPS guy, he, he can be your long-term third baseman, and that's what he's done since June 11th coming off the injured list. I don't, I don't think that's an expectation that's too high for Alec Bohm is for him to be an 800 OPS guy. Uh, Brandon Marsh, uh, second on the team in wins above replacement at 1.8, 275 average, 349 on base, 450 slash. Still gets sat against most left-handers, but I think it's been quite a big step forward for him this year. I've got him as a B as well, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, problem is when a guy's personality is like Brandon Marsh's, part of that is the stuff you see him do in the outfield sometimes. So uh, next time he says that can't happen again. Yeah, he's got to lock that up. I'm going to hope that doesn't happen again. Let's just hope that's <laughs> not going to happen again. Liz, B for Brandon Marsh? Uh, yeah. I don't have much more to add than Justin does. He's. Uh, yeah. I've been pleased. You know, he's gone forward. He's also looked like an idiot sometimes. But Yeah, play better defense. Play Seriously, better play better defense. Yeah, he is, he no is fun, and he seems like he can get along with anybody, which is he just you know, also just good energy for this team to have. Yes. Yeah, good trade by good trade by Dombrowski last year. Well he really done. does look like he's going to be kept around for a while. And then Bryson Stott leads the team in wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs, 1.9, hitting 301 with a 338 on base and a 422 slugging percentage. He is the first Philly since Shane Victorino in 2009 with at least 100 hits and 15 stolen bases before the All-Star break. That was a Corey Seidman note on Twitter. I have him at a B-plus, Liz. I think he's been, of the three daycare guys, I think he has been the most exciting. I think he has been the guy that has had uh, the, the most production thus far. I agree. I might even bump it up to an A-minus, but I, I'm, a I, I'm a Stott fan. I, I've, I've loved everything I've seen from him, and I like almost most of all that the Phillies have been content to sort of let him go. You know, he's, he's become a really self-sufficient hitter. I think he knows when to get advice and I'm just so pleased. I was really worried that he, it was, he was going to be kind of uh, like Reese Hoskins 2.0, which is not, a bad thing, but it's not what you want from a homegrown player like Bryson Stott. You want one of these guys to work out and like be an actual star. And mm -hmm. Bryson Stott could be that. That's what I was going to say. I feel like he has taken the first step to stardom here. He was getting talked about. You know, I say the Phillies weren't getting talked about nationally, but I heard Bryson Stott's name come up a lot uh, over the past couple weeks before the end of the first half. I actually, our last episode, talked to Tim Jackson from Baseball mm -hmm. Prospectus who wrote about him, and, you know, he was saying, he was saying in, in 2026 when the All-Star Games in Philadelphia, we agreed, 
he agreed with me on this. Uh, Bryson Stott would be leading off for the National League, but he even said it would be the second year Bryson Stott was in an all-star game by then. So I think that the vibes coming off Bryson Stott are good, and he has been feeding into that as well. Uh, but with his play here at the end of the first half, um, he's been a very exciting player to watch, and his at-bats are just the at-bats of a much more experienced player, you would think. Um, and he just, he finds a way to hit with two strikes. That's so valuable. You, you can't put him in a count where he looks uncomfortable. Yes. That's so, that's so important. And not many other guys in this lineup can do that. A lot of other guys are just like, please don't throw me that ball. That, that slider that's going to go outside. Please. I'm definitely going to swing at it. Please don't throw it. <laughs> little, little head shake going back to the dugout. So yeah, that's not Stott. And it's always, it's always more exciting when he comes up to bat because yeah, he doesn't, he just seems immune to that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's a two-strike magi- magician, uh, being able to get those hits with two strikes. I think he has more two-strike hits than anybody in baseball this year. And I think you were guys, when you guys were talking about it, I think the next evolution in his game is when he can start to play games with the pitcher and realize when pitchers are starting to pour in first-pitch fa- fastballs on him, and he can start to turn on those for power as his career goes on. That's kind of the next evolution in his game where he can, you know, he's known as like that pest. He's that, he's that guy with that is willing to get to two strikes all the time. We'll see a lot of pitches, but uh, can hunt for an early first ball fastball once in a while, just to let pitchers know you can't groove one right down the middle every time and get strike one on him. That's where I think a lot of his power is going to come from as he gets older. So we'll see. All right, let's talk about some of these pitchers real quick here. And um, we'll start with um, with Nola. We've talked so much about Nola. We don't need to talk about him a whole lot. He had another stinker on Sunday. I was prepared to give him maybe a half a letter grade higher. And I know I'm letting one start kind of influence that a little bit. But I think it's just more an indicative of the pattern we've seen from him. And I thought, okay, maybe, you know, after that Tampa start, he's going to maybe now build on that. And of course, went backwards. So he's allowed 20 home runs this year. That's one more than he did all of last year. I know Corey Seibner noted that he has one of the lowest on-base percentages allowed by any pitcher this season. He's not allowing many base runners, but it seems like almost every base runner he allows scores. And he, and <laughs> I'm it's sorry. Just, this is just so another dumb. one of those things. This is dumb. What are you doing, man? Like, like he loses yeah. concentration once in a game. He can't keep it together for a whole game, and his mind just leaves his body for like maybe three minutes, and it comes back. He's like, "Oh God, what have I done?" Aranola is like, they're like, "Oh, Aranola gave up, he got shelled for nine runs in an inning after no hitting a team last night." But you know, he also has never given up a home run to the Dodgers. And you're like, "Why are these facts all <laughs> part of the same guy? That doesn't make any sense." I mean, I, I give him a little credit. I do. I give him credit. I think the reason I'd give him a C minus and not a D is because his best starts of the season have come against like Houston. LA, Arizona, and like Tampa. Like when he mm-hmm. faced like the toughest teams, he has looked great. And he had a no hitter for six and two thirds innings in, in one game. So, like, there his extremes have been, well, you know, why they're called extremes. But then I think back, boy, remember opening day? <laughs> yeah. Remember that? That was terrible. And I thought I was going to not get over that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he has not really done anything to make you think he's not still that guy who, who blew that lead on, on opening day. And, you know, I know those those four starts I just mentioned you'd think would prove that, but they were all pretty isolated. He fails to get, like, enough momentum to redefine himself. So until he proves otherwise, he's what Liz is saying and what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. A guy who uh, pitches on an elite level, but if one single thing goes wrong, he completely unravels. 
Yeah, so I had him in a C minus as well, Liz. C minus. Is that too? I know there will be people who would argue that he should be lower than a C minus based on what you would expect from him. Yeah. And in my heart and soul, I want to give him lower than a C minus. But uh, cooler heads prevail. And I think you need to give him a tiny bit of credit for what he has done in the past because that potential still exists. And we see it. We actually yeah. see it. Like almost every game, we see some of this guy. But then he just leaves, he goes off, and has a beer somewhere. Yeah, there's always like a, a couple of pitches that like pitcher list will showcase particularly good pitches on on Twitter uh, as they're thrown. And like he's always like, oh, here's here's a couple of Aaron. Like here's an Aaron Nola. Nola and, nasty Nola. knuckle curve. Yeah. Nola nasty. Fast. And then you <laughs> find you find out it's from a game where they got shelled like eight to yeah. three or something. And you're like, what? Yeah. He's yeah. he's like the uh, the angels comparison. You know, the he didn't, they didn't show the one where it went over the middle of the plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Not? Yeah, that's right. He got that guy 0-2 and then gave up a grand slam. So that was cool. Yeah. Zach Wheeler, I think, is a guy who might even be a little bit harder to grade. I mean, you look at the ERA, he's at 4.05. Aaron Nola's at 4.39. There's not much difference in their ERAs. Now, Wheeler's, uh, his batted ball stats and all this other, the expected ERA are much friendlier than Nola's. I mean, his his fielding independent pitching is 2.83, 3.38 expected ERA, and that's because he gives up, so far this year, he's given up some softly hit singles and some so he's had some some luck issues but he also just you can just see it the eye test tells you he hasn't he hasn't been as dynamic and really he hasn't strung together a long string of starts and i think he's kind of gotten lost in the arenola conversation a little bit i have him as a c plus because i do think he has pitched a little bit better but do you guys, Liz, do you agree with me that he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle? Has he been skating by a little bit or or has he just been, has he pitched really well and been just kind of unlucky? I I would like to think it's that he's pitched well, but been unlucky. Because uh, I, I don't, I mean, and this is completely subjective, but I don't have nearly as many memories this year of being actively angry at Wheeler for screwing up a really great thing that was happening. If he's going to give up a bunch of runs, he tends to do it. And then you're just like, oh, well, that's what this game is. And then you move on with your life. It's not like with Aaron Nola where he'll string you along for a bunch of innings and then crush you under his feet. I kind uh, of yeah, So, like, yes, he is getting lost in the shuffle a little bit, but I, I think it's mostly bad luck. I kind of feel like, and I'm not looking at stats that back this up, but I kind of feel like Wheeler has benefited from more run support. He has. I yeah. think you're right about that. So he, yeah, his his struggles have, I think, largely been disguised by that, by the offense actually coming through for him. But yeah, he's struggled. I'd be willing to bump him down to a C, honestly. I mean, you know, these are your, supposed to be your one and two pitchers. We're already at the point where we're like, Nola's not a number two. He's your number four. You know, he's he's already been demoted. Uh, Wheeler is supposed to be your number one, and measuring him up against the standards of that position yeah, I mean, this is a C at best for me. You know, I, I it's great that uh, you know, he he hasn't struggled the entire way, but he has been inconsistent. And this team needs a number one pitcher, at least. You know, they can't go through stretches where it looks like nobody can be the stopper. And that's what it looked like earlier this year uh, before people really got in gear, before Ranger Suarez came back, before Taiwan Walker started shagging fly balls and was suddenly fixed on the mound. So uh, I, Wheeler's, you know, he, he's got to be better than this. You know, if they can all be like pretty good most of the time, then nobody has to carry the rotation. 
Uh, and I feel like having Suarez and Walker in there have, you know, and them finding, finding another gear has really benefited this rotation, but Wheeler, yeah, Wheeler has just been so shaky and, and not, not number one, like, so that, that's the kind of guy who's got to come back in the second half. I looked it up. Uh, Zach Wheeler, his, uh, has averaged, uh, 5.72 runs, uh, run support, uh, Nola. No, no, sorry. It was, uh, yeah. 5.72, uh, Nola's at 4.95. Or 4.98, so uh, almost a full run more of uh, run support for Zach Wheeler this year in his start. So I think you're you're right. They they average 5.7 runs per game when he starts. But Nola gets 4.9. So, I mean, that's not like Nola isn't also getting some run support here and there. All right, uh, real quick, uh, uh, Ranger Suarez, uh, he came back from an in, from the injured list, had three really bad starts, and then went on went on quite a streak. Uh, I think he just got a little bit tired in that last game against the Marlins uh, on Saturday. I have him as a B plus so far for this year, Justin. Yep. That works for me. I think uh, uh, he has been a blessing, I think for this lineup or for this rotation. Uh, Like I said, once he got those first two starts after returning out of the way, he really looked like he had also just was pitching on another level and, yeah, that's the kind of guy you need in your rotation to, to succeed. So I, I'm I'm very pleased with Ranger Suarez, and I'm glad he's your favorite pitcher on the Phillies. He's my favorite pitcher. Absolutely right. Uh, Liz, Ranger Suarez, what's your grade? Strong agree with the B+. Plus. I have no right. other comments to add. Taiwan Walker. Boy, what a rough start he got off to, and now he has probably been their best pitcher <laughs> over the last month and a half. I mean, Just that's like the thing about this team. Landed out. So many... Yeah, just so many wild swings with all these guys. Like, Walker has a ERA over four, but he's just been dominant um, it's because he got off such a bad start. I've got him at a B, Liz. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I could argue up to a, a B plus even, just given how great he's been of late. Like, that bad start was real bad. But, like, I barely even remember that now. You know, he's been so good and I'm looking forward to to him continuing this uh, in the next mm-hmm. half uh, as I seek to manifest this and send it out to the universe. Yeah, Walker figured something out. He started throwing his sinker earlier and throwing that splitter later, and it's really throwing hitters off. And the whatever you know, other adjustments he made after that, uh, I want to say it was around that Dodgers start where he just got blasted into the stratosphere. Um, after that, he really seemed like he's a consistent, like six inning guy. He's, he still had a couple of, uh, false starts along the way, but he gives the Phillies a bunch of innings. He keeps them in games. And yeah, I mean, there was a stretch of like five starts where he didn't allow more than one earned run in, in any of them. So that's mm-hmm. the kind of pitcher that's, if that's, the, if that's the kind of pitcher who's sitting in the middle of your rotation, you're in pretty good shape. Instead of doing all the individual relievers, let's just give an overall grade to the bullpen. Um, just a couple of quick notes. Alvarado, Jose Alvarado back on the injured list for the second time this year with elbow inflammation. Kind of a worrisome oh, thing God. that he's still dealing with this. Uh, he missed a month the last time he was on the injured list. So uh, Soto will take over as the main late inning lefty uh, and Matt Strom will get some of the um, the Gregory Soto innings. And then uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez could return soon after the All-Star break with a strained oblique injury. So that would be good to get him back. Although guys like Jeff Hoffman have really stepped up and been big, big contributors while Sir Anthony Dominguez has been down. Uh, but overall grade for the bullpen, I think the bullpen may be the most under-talked about story with this team. It may be the biggest reason why they were able to survive the struggles of the starting pitching staff and the offensive issues. They've been rock solid really all year long, 
I have to give the bullpen an A minus. I think. I, I think just as a unit, they've been dependable. When the Phillies have a late lead, you feel confident with pretty much everybody that they throw out there. And there's really only been a handful of games with it that they've let get away from them. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, I for me, Kimbrel's the star. Yeah. Like what? Unbelievable. What a turnaround! What faith the Phillies had in him and in Caleb Cotham for helping him figure everything out like I saw a picture of him and Kenley Jansen at the all-star game and he's just like smiling huge and I'm so (laughs) happy for him like he deserves this like when we were all making fun of them with the you know his very bird-like setup which I just adore which I adore it always have uh even if I was making fun of it you can't prove that I wasn't um (laughs) I'm just so happy that he's been doing well and yeah. that he's rediscovered himself. <laughs> Suck it, Braves. The Phillies have played 27 games that were determined by a, a one run. They have won 18 of those games. That is a surprising mm. stat to me. Wow. That they are 18 and 9 in one run yeah. games. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they've had any starters go through a complete game this year. No, so no complete games this year. If, nope. you're, if you're winning that many one run games, then your bullpen's doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's not, it's dangerous to live that way. We criticize the Marlins record um, because they have so many one run wins, but when you've got a really good bullpen, you can do that over the course of a, of, of a season and win a lot of those close games because your relievers are not allowing those inherited runners to score and they're locking down games at the end. And the Phillies went out and they got themselves four closers um, you know, they have they, they brought in Gregory Soto and Craig Kimbrell to go along with Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez. They have four guys that have closing experience, which is invaluable when a guy like Jose Alvarado goes on the shelf. You still have three guys you can turn to. Even with Alvarado and Dominguez on the shelf, you still have two guys that you can turn to for the eighth and ninth innings. And it's just a brilliant piece of GMing by team president Dave Dombrowski to do that this offseason and make that a priority. Um Anything else from the first half we want to touch on before we uh, look at the second half real quick and, and wrap up the podcast, guys? Well, just that it's been a bumpy ride, and uh, I don't think it's going to get a whole lot less bumpy. Nope. But they don't, you know, they just need to get high. I, I, that's what it's like. It's not all these problems have to be solved. That that's the, not all these grades have to get bumped up to A's for the Phillies to make the playoffs. Just a couple of improvements in some key areas. Like, but like you said, the bullpen has been a strength. Uh, certain members of the rotation have been a strength. And that makes like the the rare, truly good starts you get from the guys who've been struggling even more valuable. I mean, that's how you string wins together. That's where you start. And that's what this team needs to like string a bunch of wins together that just kind of separates them a little bit more from the pack and then just play at a level where they can maintain that. I mean, this is not this is this is a not a pretty report card, but it doesn't result in expulsion. They're not that bad. Yeah. I mean, I think the sum of the parts are better than the parts individually when you pick them apart. I think that's the, I think that's kind of the, there you go. Let's the go message that. here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, they, they, they just, they, they, they seem, they find ways. And I think Rob Thompson has done a good job this year. Uh, I, I, we didn't give him a grade, but I know he's had a lot of criticism. He hasn't been perfect. He's made some moves that are kind of confusing and confounding. But when you see teams like the Mets and the Padres and the Cardinals playoff teams last year, who have really struggled to get any kind of momentum and, and for the, 
Cardinals and Mets who are there out of playoff contention, essentially. Um, it kind of makes what Rob Thompson is doing to weather that storm and to fight back and to have his team go on this run says a lot about the clubhouse culture and, and what these guys have developed over the course of the of the last year plus playing for Rob Thompson. So uh, I think that speaks a lot to why they have been successful, even though a lot of their players have underperformed. And now as you look ahead to the second half, uh, they are in a position to make the postseason. They they have put themselves well within striking distance of the wild card. You can forget about the Braves. They are a freight train that you're just not going to be able to catch. But that number one wild card spot is valuable and certainly within their grasp, especially when a team that's, at, that's flawed like the Marlins, they show that they can pitch. They're a pretty good team, but that is a flawed team as well. The Phillies can catch all of the teams that are in front of them. They've already piled up 51 road games this year. That's more than any team in baseball. So they will play 42 of their last 73 games at Citizens Bank Park. That's 57.5% of their games. They will not play a game outside the Eastern time zone until September. And they have just one more trip to California to play the Padres in San Diego in the month of September. They have the 12th easiest strength of schedule ahead with a combined opponent's winning percentage of 500. All the other wildcard contenders have a tougher road. The Marlins, by the way, their opponents have a 515 winning percentage that is fourth toughest the rest of the way. So... Again, if you're looking at at reasons to be optimistic, the Phillies have left a lot of meat on the bone this season. Their star players have room to grow. Their star pitchers have room to grow. And the schedule eases up for them quite a bit here, especially in the month of August, where they play almost all of their games at home. So while they don't get the teams in their division quite as much, the fact that they're playing a balanced schedule and they're not playing as many teams in the Eastern Division might play in their favor because they've really struggled against yep. teams in their division. <laughs> That's not as big a death knell as it used to be given the new schedule. So anyway, all right. So how are we feeling about the second half? Uh, Liz, uh, as we wrap things up here on this episode of the podcast, feeling good, feeling confident, ready to put the first half behind you and get the second half on a roll? Yes, ready to put this the first half behind us um, and start fresh. You know, it's just like the when you turn the calendar to January, when you throw out the previous year's calendar and get a brand new one. It's purely symbolic and really means nothing. But mentally, you can convince yourself it really does make a difference. And the Phillies need to convince themselves of that specifically. You know, take what works, leave what doesn't. Let's all move on. I'm excited for any, the second half. <laughs> do you have any additional final thoughts, non-Phillies related, to share with us before we before we say goodbye? Um. Oh, um, I got to see um, Mike Vec speak. Um, he is the son of the late great Bill Vec um, of the. Now I'm forgetting all the teams. The St. Paul Saints. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was with Cleveland. He was with the Cubs for a while. The White Sox. Uh, just a, a brilliant promoter. He has a book coming out. Um, get yourself to the Saber website and look up his talk. One of the funniest, warmest guys who tells a lot of stories about his father. One of the greatest baseball promoters, greatest baseball promotional minds ever to walk the earth. Um, he had a complicated relationship with him, but it is so entertaining to hear him talk. So get yourself to the Sabre website, sabre.org. Listen to that. There you go. All right. There you go. Justin, final thoughts from you, buddy? Uh, yeah, I feel like the Phillies have a second wild card spot at best playoff chase in front of them, but that's, you know, 
I don't really think about where they get into the playoffs anymore because it was always going to be one of these three wild card spots this year. I think we knew that after about two weeks. So uh, get ready for hopefully not more of the same, but hopefully a little bit better of the same. I'm my ex. That's where my expectations are, and I'm not particularly uh, uh, feeling pessimistic about this team moving forward. So I, I'm looking forward to the second half as well, and I'm also looking forward to the All Star game, honestly. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's always fun. Yeah. All-Star game's always fun. It'll be fun to see Nick Castellanos get in the game. I think I saw that they said that he might play some center field in the All-Star game. He said that they might let him play some center field. Of course, his manager is Rob Thompson. and uh, Let him play center field. Let him. Okay. Yeah, he might let him play some center field in the All-Star game. So that could be fun. And uh, I'm sure if there's a save opportunity, Rob will get Craig Kimbrell in the in that spot in the ninth inning. So kind of a, one of the advantages to your team going to the World Series is uh, your manager gets to gets to manage the all-star game the following year so pretty cool uh, for rob that's really great i don't know if we talked about that too too much but that's really awesome for him yeah it really is it's what a great thing for a guy who we always play second fiddle right throughout his entire baseball career and now he's kind of the man and it's uh it's kind of fun while watching him uh do it all so competently and coolly the way he the way that he has so i agree with you justin it'll be fun to watch that all-star game tomorrow night as uh, certainly will have a, a phillies flavor to it all right everybody that's going to do it for this edition of hit and season i want to also remind you folks to to check out billypen.com slash hit and season that is our home that is our new home uh with uh with billypen.com that's our landing page so all of our podcasts all of our writing about the fills uh that we do to go along with the podcast can be found there so i want to encourage you to check out billypen.com slash hit and season and also to check out our hit and season patreon go to patreon.com slash hit and season you'll find all kinds of bonus podcast material there for everyone who likes to chip in a few dollars a month uh, to get some of that uh, extra material and also as a way to say thank you and to in that you enjoy the shows that we do thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you next time here on hit and season